Okay, we can start. <clears throat> okay. This is Burn This Book, a banned books book club where we, Nicole and Eden, read a banned or challenged book twice a month and discuss its meaning, impact, and censorship to make it more accessible for all readers. This week's book is The Giver by Lois Lowry, which was published in 1993 for young adults, and this book has been challenged for two decades since the ALA began tracking in the 90s. Joining us today is Micah Clements. Hello, Micah. Hi! <laughs> and he's our first in-person guest. Oh my gosh! <laughs> That's crazy. It is crazy. Tell us about yourself and your connection to the book. Oh, I... Um, I'm just a person, and <laughs> I read. I used to live. I used to live in a different country. I used to live in Saudi Arabia because my dad worked there, and that's where I first read this book. It wasn't assigned to me in school. I just read it because I was not interested in reading the books that were being assigned to me because I was a little punk. They were good books too. They were assigning me cool books. <laughs> I just wasn't reading them, and and I read it, and I thought it was fine. And then I didn't have any strong feelings about it other than just that, oh, this is cool. And then years later, I was visiting my best friend who I had a huge crush on in Oregon. And she was working at a summer camp. And so I, this is when I was in college. So I, but like during the summer and I was just alone in her house a lot of the time in her family home and like her mom would be like out gardening in the back and I'd go help her like <laughs> weed and then I just picked up their copy of The Giver and decided to just reread it and I was in the middle of the book and at a key point that we'll talk about later and I started bawling my eyes out went from like zero to 60 because I was like oh my gosh and I was like love is real and then like oh. this and so I was I realized that this book was having this major emotional impact and then as I started to think about it I'm like oh this book is amazing huh and yeah it was so that's my experience with the giver I guess I don't know that's I don't amazing know. I like it that and you married sweet. that girl and then, married I mar the and then I married that person <laughs> and I had a huge crush on is that yep. true yeah. yeah that was Hattie that's uh -huh. Hattie yeah plot twist uh huh whoa <laughs> Can you believe she worked at a summer camp? <laughs> I can't think. Ooh. So that's, that was my experience with The Giver. Okay, I have to say one thing about The Giver before I forget, because it's yeah. not on my written agenda. I discovered it, on like, last night or this morning. Do you know who took the cover photograph on the basic thing? No. no. Lois Lowry did. No way. What's up, Lois Lowry? <laughs> she took the cover picture. Who is the Who is that who's the man? model? Yeah, who's the model? I don't know. I like to think of it as God or Father Time. She, like, is friends with him. Seriously. Wow. I always thought, this is, like, something I realized just yesterday, that I had always assumed Lois Lowry was a man. Whoa. And that Lois Lowry was the man that's on the cover of all the books. <laughs> but I, like, I know that's not logical. It doesn't make sense. But I just always was like, that's just the way it is. And last night watching, like, a lot of her speeches that she's given I was oh she's very much not that old man on the cover that's the giver I don't know why I just assumed Lois Lowry and the giver were the same person yeah <laughs> I don't know what was going on but my whole life I've just had that in my mind where it's like, yes I mm -hmm. like that yeah but... I like also that you saw the name Lois and you're like that's a dude yeah that's well, a guy it's I think it Do we know any was more sexist Lois? than anything else I just thought it was like an old-timey man name no but like I mean Ashley for sure yeah or... Shannon right yeah that used Ashley, to be like... yeah 
So I haven't I haven't met any guy Ashleys yet, but because you haven't watched Gone with the Wind. I haven't watched. Okay, I have, <laughs> but I don't consider that meeting. <laughs> so I guess that's the difference between us. Well, is I didn't immediately I didn't put myself into <laughs> Scarlett uh, O'Hara's shoes that deeply. <laughs> So. Life is a series of parasocial <laughs> <laughs> It really is, though. Yeah, good. <laughs> but I think it was really sexist, A, because that book is its just so good. And I don't know. I think as a kid, I was just like, I never thought about who, what the gender is of the author. Sure. Because my teachers never made it a thing. And I just assumed, oh, yeah, obviously this is a man. Because that's how authors are. Unfortunately, I remember in high school having to overcome those things and like thinking I used to be more sexist than I am today and I'm always working to be better. (laughs) Asterisk. Huge ally. Asterisk. (laughs) I remember thinking, I think not even thinking badly, but just like thinking less just about the like that women would be writing and stuff like that. Yeah. Clearly they were and are, and Lois Lowry is such an incredible example. And this is not even her... She'd already won the Newbery Award at this point, mm-hmm. right? I think so. For Number of the number Stars. Of the... Oh, yeah, that was her, too. Gosh. Which is... Also mm. a short little guy, but really powerful. With a person on the front as well. Yeah, a young girl. A young girl. Did, did she photograph the girl? I bet you she probably did. I think it was a... Wait a second. I thought I remembered it as an illustration, but it is a photograph. I don't know. Could be. Wow, that's cool. That's pretty cool. It is pretty short, which is one of the things I like about it, actually. Mm -hmm. It's such a little... In this day and age where people are not really reading a whole lot, it's nice to have... If you have a recommendation, like, hey, do you want to have a blast? Like, this is going to go so quickly, and it is really intense. And that was less than 200 pages. I can read. I just learned how to read. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I read this on a. I listened to this on a plane ride to New York. Yeah, it's fast. It's fast. The pacing is also really good. That was what was interesting to mm-hmm. me. It's a short book, but and it's it goes fast. But like it, y- everything happens at the right time. Like you, especially. And I was reading this in the Atlantic. There was a piece that we'll put in the liner notes between two like two authors were talking about how great this book is. And they were talking about the pacing as well. And it's true, like, when they bring up color and stuff like that, it's subtly brought up, but it's brought up only, I don't know, just the proportion of timing is crazy. You're given a little bit of room to wonder, and then you get those answers, those questions answered. Yeah. And at the right time, to the point where you didn't forget about it. She's just such an amazing writer. She's like a perfect journalist in that she doesn't use any extra stuff that she doesn't need to. Yeah, for sure. Let's give a summary of the book. Okay. For our listeners. Yeah, has anybody not read? If you haven't read The Giver... (laughs) Get out. ...and you're listening to this podcast, I really recommend reading that book. Yeah, we do recommend this one. And if you want to go in... We recommend all of them. If you want to go in spoiler-free, it is is a book with some pretty cool reveals. So, yeah. It does have pretty amazing reveals. Right? (laughs) There was one that I forgot, which you brought it up, the color stuff. Oh, yeah, I forgot. Right. And... I think as a kid, I just didn't... Okay, sorry, you wanted, you were going to do a summary. Let's do the summary real Quick summary. fast, yeah. Quick summary. It's a coming-of-age story of a boy named Jonas. And he's turning 12, and 12-year-olds in this society get assigned the, the job that they're going to work the rest of their lives. Think Hunger Games. They're assigned what they're... Not Hunger Games. Divergent? 
I've never read Divergent. Oh, a lot of modern but it's like dystopian I would, things have the same This thing. is like the influencer for well, like, that's modern like, dystopian. Yeah. Yeah. Have you? Can you guys think of an earlier teened young YA dystopian novel? Maybe Lord of the Flies. I mean, that <laughs> yeah. one. Yeah, I guess that's yeah, because it is like World War Three. But like, mm-hmm. I, I, in that way, that doesn't really follow the pattern because it doesn't like regiment what the society like looks like. It's just like, oh, it's a bunch of school children on a on, a, on an abandoned island. island, and they'll probably kill each other. And you're like, so it is true. And yeah. But yeah, this one has like a protagonist that you cheer on, much like all the other dystopian novels or IA dystopian novels today. Anyway. <clears throat> so he gets a job it's a big assembly and he gets he keeps getting put off at the end of the line to for his assigned job and everyone gets all these assigned jobs and he gets this one that he's not really ever heard of and it's called the receiver and receivers only come every once in every few decades the last receiver didn't end very no one knows really what happened to the last receiver no one even talks about the last receiver and so this is two receivers ago who is now the giver who needs to now train jonas to be the receiver yeah feel free to chime in anytime but yeah yeah, but essentially he starts his training with the receiver and realizes that the receiver is the receiver of memories and thereby feelings as and well feelings. like because mm-hmm. you start to realize what is missing because the thing that makes it such an interesting dystopian novel is it's actually nuanced in its dystopian view because what's wrong with the world of the hunger games people are starving everywhere and they do murder games once a year and you're <laughs> like that seems like a society that needs to change and then they're like and the capital, they're all rich. And you're like, yeah, that sucks. Mm-hmm. But in The Giver, they're like starting, they're like, we sh- they're doing like detox, talking about their feelings at the end of each evening. And you're like, well, that sounds like a good idea. Yeah, I was yeah. like, oh, like, maybe I want to incorporate this in my family yeah. ritual. Like- <laughs> maybe that's a good idea. And like every morning, they're like talking about their dreams. And you're like, wow, yeah. that's, that, seems like, that seems like a good idea too. Yeah. And, and so... I think it's it's more nuanced, but you start realizing that. It's very clean. It's very organized. That it's There's a super not the organized obvious tension that we'd see in other ones. Right. You see that it's it's very organized, and you start realizing that it is a society that is has selected one or in this case two people to bear the brunt of all emotional difficulty. Period. Yeah. So the giver has all of the society's memories that date back to who knows when. He's experienced war, and this society has not, because they don't have that memory of Mm. of war. He even has the memory of color, which is why we were talking about that earlier, just how you realize at that point, oh, has this world been in black and white this whole time? Mm-hmm. Or have they just not been able to name the things they're seeing or what? Because they, the way they... I think it's they, been in black and white. I think it's been in black and white, too. slowly starts to see color. Like, he he's, like, surprised when yeah. he sees the red-headed girl's hair. And then he, like, doesn't know what to do with that. Yeah. And then the next day, the giver kind of explains. Yeah. So. Oh, you've been seeing color. You've been seeing red. Because he also sees an apple. Mm-hmm. So he, like, sees three things that are red, and the reader is, oh, He's being surprised by all the... There's a similar thing in all the things that Jonas is being surprised by. And then the giver immediately is, that's called red, Jonas. Mm-hmm. That's called red, Jonas. Yes. I took some... Can we get into the... Yeah, into we it? can get into yeah. it. Oh, real quick. 
just one more thing on the plot. Yep. It's it, the society values sameness and you have these different roles for each person. Jonas is unique in his role. No one else really has that except for the giver who will eventually die and then Jonas will take over. His father is a nurturer. And that's important. Meaning he takes that care he of cares for the babies. Yeah. And his mother is in the justice side of it. And and every family is has a boy and a girl and you apply for those, those children. So there's at one point the family ends up taking in an extra baby because the nurturer father wants to see if they can help this baby. Otherwise, they will have to take the baby. They'll have to release it. Release the baby if the baby doesn't get to where the baby needs to be, which is very much like sleeping through the night or And they talk whatever. about releasing really early in the novel. It's like mm-hmm. on the first page when he talks about there was one time a jet flew over there yeah. and found out that the guy who was piloting it made a mistake and that he was released from the community immediately. Yeah. And people, and you're like, oh, I guess that means he got kicked out. And so you keep on hearing and like you find out that there's this word in capital letters elsewhere that you go to when you're released. Yeah. And old and people are released too. Old people are released and there's um, like a huge ceremony and yeah. then yeah. And Jonas thinks parties. it's like a beautiful thing or like just a normal thing. It's just part of this conflict free society. Go on, Micah. No, yeah, I just sorry, I was just breathing weird. That wasn't my way of being like Nicole, I'd really <laughs> like to be speaking. <laughs> no, right I didn't now. think that I I'd really that, like to be speaking right now. But I noticed now. that I totally cut you off, and I've cut you off like twice, and I'm going to uh, stop doing I'm that. I'm pretty sure I've done it a bunch of times already, but I like, <laughs> they talk about releasing throughout, and they layer that in, and if, and I don't know, it's just, it's interesting, and it's that it is portrayed as though it is something that is really, you're going to someplace, and being released is still seen as really negative sometimes. If you're, like, released against your will, it's, oh, no, you're all alone out there. Or hopefully some other community will take you in. But we learn later what releasing really means. And it means the thing that any adult probably listening to this has figured out, which is uh, you die. They euthanize you. While you're looking that up, another reveal in the middle of the book is Jonas looks up to his father who is a nurturer. He's taking care of all the children who will be given to other families. And Jonas witnesses his father releasing a baby. And that was a really hard scene to read. Being a mother of a small child, of just, oh, this is more graphic than I remember. Yeah. but That's like, awful, yeah. Yeah, totally awful and so sad. So sad. And he uses the baby voice with that baby. It's like you see that this father is completely unfeeling. Like he's just doing his job or he's lost in his job and that he's just like this is for the right this is the mm-hmm. best thing this is right this, this is oh little baby you're so cute and then he kills him mm-hmm. and jonas is just watching this like psychopathic kind of what on earth is happening yeah and just he's completely unfeeling about it this is just how it is he goes crying to the giver and i think that's like his breaking point too of what is this society we're living in yeah that we're killing babies because like at the same time his dad took in a baby to see if they can, like, an experiment? Yeah. To see if he could nurture this baby yeah. better. And then there were just, like, hints of him about, oh, tomorrow we're going to release Gabe. And that's the little yeah. boy. Gabriel. Which has a biblical it does. name situation. Yeah, and I know Lois Lowry is Christian, but she's been pretty open about saying that the story is a story and it's not meant Mm -hmm. to be like a big allegory or something like Mm -hmm. or 
obviously there's metaphorical aspects that you're supposed to be reading into it, but I don't think she was like, she's not like, this character is Jesus. Right, And this right. character <laughs> is Moses. Right. Mm-hmm. And on speaking to that, I watched a speech that she gave at the... Oh, I don't know what it's called, but it's going to be in the liner notes. We'll let you guys see it. It's really beautiful. And she talks about why she writes. The reason why she writes is because she doesn't understand something. She never writes what she knows. She writes what she doesn't know. Cool. And that's how she comes up with these things, seeking to understand. And in the 90s, her son was in Saudi... It was not in Saudi Arabia, but she, he was in the Middle East. Been. He was in the Middle East fighting in the first war in Iraq, so during Operation Desert Storm. Mm. And, and his... Her son wrote her and said something like, why do we people do these types of things to each other? And that was the question that inspired her writing this. Ooh. So that's kind of what she kept going. And as she kept writing and writing, she like had all these realizations about what pain is, but she still didn't feel like she answered the question. And so that's where we get the sequel and then the other book. And then she just keeps, she's still on that quest to understand that. And so if you look at this book from that perspective, it was really powerful. How can a society be so okay with doing these horribly ugly things? At what point are we so afraid of conflict that we're willing to kill each other? And then, or we're so afraid of diversity or we're so afraid of different beliefs. And eventually her son dies in the Middle East. Oh my gosh. It's horrible. And she has this whole spiel, which is something that Eden and I really believe in, that young people have so much potential to change the world and do so much good. And her whole thing is that there are Jonases out there who really do believe that they can make change the world and make it better. And she was like, I knew my son was a young person who believed he could do change the world. Every single author, and she quotes like Kurt Vonnegut and Dr. Seuss and all these other authors that she had worked with and had relationships with, that even through all their cynicism, they still believe that young people, it was important for them to read and important for them to see themselves in books mm. because they have the potential more than anyone else to change the world. And like... When you're looking at this book that way, it is so powerful to see, like, Jonas really does live up to that. And Yeah. For sure. Yeah. I mean, I, yeah, I love that. I like that you brought up that, like, why would a society do this? Like, why, like, really, why are people this way? Because in some ways, the giver doesn't have enough time to really dive into it because, like, we're seeing everything from Jonas's perspective. But... I think the book does a really good job of putting the society's best foot forward. Like, I feel like we see lots of what is working about the society before we see these negative things. And it feels like most dystopian novels don't really have anything that is working at all. We have a neighbor that is vacuuming right now. Welcome to apartment complexes. Yeah, it's sweet. (laughs) But, But there's lots that's working, and I think that is so valuable to the society that they're mm-hmm. willing to euthanize a baby that a euthanize a baby that's not sleeping well like that's mm-hmm. that is the extent of its problems to because i can't go through all of my page notes but i was doing like page by page notes for a little while i was reading because oh. i was really excited to be on the podcast <laughs> yeah the there's on page 55 there's mm-hmm. a there it's right before jonas hit, gets skipped over for at the ceremony and they're talking about Asher whose best friend is getting assignment. Yeah. And they're laughing about Asher. Everybody's like laughing about and like with him and he's yeah, I'm a big silly kid and things were hard <laughs> for me. And then they get into how he was really bad at speaking and they're all laughing about it and they're like 
poor Asher, who always talked too fast and mixed up words, even as a toddler. As a three, eager for his juice and crackers at snack time, he one day would said smack instead of snack as he stood waiting in line for the morning treat. Jonas remembered it clearly. He could still see little Asher wiggling with impatience in the line. He remembered the cheerful voice calling out, I want my smack, which that is a funny thing to say. Mm -hmm. Maybe clear. Asher gets points for comedy. Two, five comedy points for Asher. <laughs> the other threes, including Jonas, had laughed nervously. Snack, they corrected. You meant snack, Asher. But the mistake had been made. And precision of language was one of the most important tasks of small children. Asher had asked for a smack. The disciplined wand in the hand of the child care worker whistled it came, as it came down across Asher's hands. Asher whimpered, cringed, and corrected himself instantly. Snack, he whispered. But the next morning, he had done it again, and again the following week. He couldn't seem to stop, though for each lapse, the discipline wand came again, escalating to a series of painful lashes that left marks on Asher's legs. Eventually, for a period of time, Asher stopped talking altogether when he was a three. And then it goes back to the chief elder, like, telling the story and everyone being like, that's nuts, right? That's so it's like, And it's such, a, it's such a clear instance. Like, we still don't know about the full dystopian length of this, but we already are seeing, like, the entire society is laughing at the fact they beat this child until he stopped talking. Yeah. It's like, oh, well, I think there might be a problem with the society. That's, <laughs> and, it, and actually, I feel like, I mean, to your point about... Lois Lowry wanting young people to do things and to that they have the power to change because I agree and I think that's what the giver is ultimately about the giver society is a society in which Asher is silenced because he can't speak properly and this is a banned books podcast so it is inherently funny <laughs> that it is a book about that like that people are like I would like to silence this actually can we silence <laughs> the, can we silence this voice I know it's about silencing voices but I don't understand the irony and I don't care <laughs> anyway did so. you have some thoughts about that Eden I have a lot of, I love this book yeah, it, I have a lot of thoughts about it. And I remember I wrote down that the discipline wand was used on the old, too, like on the young. Oh, so nasty. it's just through throughout. Yeah. You guys mentioned earlier how this is an organized society. I would also add that it's an intentional society because of that pre precision of language. Yeah. I think, was it Jonas or he was recounting a story of someone else who said that they were starving versus hungry? And he got reprimanded for that because he wasn't actually starving. Yeah. The precision of language was to help people avoid lying at all times. And... Which makes you think that when they're actually recounting their feelings at dinner time as a family, it's not about their feelings, it's about language. Yeah. It's about figuring out the correct language to describe their day. Or to, I, I think, like, it wasn't about them processing emotion as much as it was figuring out how to communicate in the clearest way to avoid any sort of conflict, any sort of turnaround, any sort of confusion. The filtration mm -hmm. system. Yeah. <laughs> it's, yeah. So if people say their feelings, the parents are able to be like, Here's what your feelings actually are. Yeah. And the child. And here's the thing. You can be convinced of stuff like that. Yeah. yeah. Even there was a point where Jonas has a dream and he feels stirrings. And so he talked about those. Was it during the dream? Rich and his mom was like, oh, like those feelings you're feeling. So he had a dream about a girl. Those feelings you're feeling is called stirrings. And 
we take pills for stirrings. And so they were literally suppressing like the very natural like progress of sexuality within a child yeah. to avoid the conflict of stirrings. Yeah. And it's just, I, it's like every feeling that they cannot control or that they cannot, they don't have time to understand or take time to understand, they just suppress it. Because I think that like sexuality, especially sexuality, and we see this with don't gay say bill, don't say gay bills. Don't gay say. Don't say gay bills in Florida and other places. And like all of these things, like even just love as a construct in literature is like something that is so misunderstood. That's why we study it and that's why we talk about it as human beings. Because mm-hmm. we're like, it's so crazy and people do crazy things because of love. It's a really complex, it's probably the most complex co- emotion. Mm-hmm. And it's really messy. And I think that idea of them suppressing that just to make sure that they can still organize these families in the perfect way. Mm-hmm. And they match make the couples so you don't mm-hmm. get to really choose who you're with. But it's, And they match make the kids. Yeah, too. and then they match yeah. make the kids according to the couples. And you also have handmaids, very much like Handmaid's Tale, women who are just giving birth nonstop, basically. Mm-hmm. They're not treated well, but they're... Right. Yeah, and then they give birth and then the child is given up. And a lot of the time, the women never even meet the child that they gave birth to. So you have all these relation, family relationships that you don't know. It's broken, broken up families yeah, intentionally. Intentionally, yeah. but and someone said this in the Atlantic article that we'll link is Jonas has dark eyes. Everyone else has really light eyes, and the Giver has dark eyes, and so does Gabriel. Flipped. They have light eyes. Oh, and light everyone eyes. else has dark eyes. Thank mm-hmm. you. And so does Gabriel. So there's like a question, like maybe they're actually related. And you didn't know, yeah. Yeah, That's, maybe totally their fair. family yeah. line is mm-hmm. like. They're genetically related, so and but they don't know, and they'll never know. That's actually yeah. really beautiful because I had a my main thought with this is like the importance of historians in our society. That rules, and that was a very <laughs> cool reading, and you, that's why you're on the pod. And yeah, continue. And that <clears throat> that fact that you just had of them being possibly related. This is the only blood relationship that we see of in this mm-hmm. in this book, and one of the things I wrote is that they don't have grandparents in this society because once they turn old then they go to the old house and no one ever visits Mm -hmm. them except for the people who are volunteering or assigned to be a worker in Mm -hmm. the old house and i wrote down that grandparents are the receivers of memories in families yeah and it's because of them that like we are able to learn our own family histories and learn resilience because oh my great-grandparents or grandparents went through the cultural revolution and if they can do that i can do this but also like it informs a lot of what i have to work through in my life too as like generational trauma in order to live a better life for my descendants Mm. yeah i just thought that was very beautiful and so like to have the giver and jonas and gabriel have similar eye color then it's oh yeah wow that's beautiful yeah this family yeah there's importance in family And there was one thing, too. There was another relationship that we didn't talk about, which is the person who was going to be a receiver, that was a receiver before Jonas, that went terribly wrong. The giver reveals later on that was his daughter. And so there is another family relationship, which makes you think, could that person have been related to Jonas? Also, there's that familial thing. Also, did the society know it was the giver's daughter? I don't know. That's never answered. We don't know if anyone knew that or if that's just something that the giver knows because he has all his memories. But even, like, for me personally, like, last night, I have this little baby nephew who's really sick, and it's really scary, and he's been in the NICU since he was born. 
And my sister and her husband have already gone through so much. They lost their child right before this baby. He was, the child before was a stillborn named Warren. And he was fine until the morning that she gave birth. And then giving birth, it was discovered. So it was like this really traumatic thing that's been going on. And she's like new as of these last two kids. They have two kids above them that are healthy and doing great. But it's just really heartbreaking. And last night was really scary. And at one point, I just was running out of options. And I was just like leaning on my ancestors and on the memories that I have of like really hard things that my ancestors have gone through and the knowledge that they have recovered through it. And I have this, I have, yeah, I have all these amazing great grandmothers and great grandfathers who have experienced horrific things, but have chosen love through it and resilience. And just like touching on Eden's thing, like, it was like an interesting feeling to feel like I could call on them and be like, okay, let's do this thing together. You guys are invested. And to have that ripped away and not know of any of your resilience or any of your like, would just be, or any of your trauma or any of anything about who you actually are as a person and what you've gone through and what people have gone through in order to get you here is like such a loss. And I think, yeah, I don't know. In my own time, that's all. Yeah. Maybe I'll edit that whole thing out. Who's to say? Oh no, that's great. I'm glad you shared that. And to piggyback off of that, I was just, what you were saying, because I really love that, the idea that family units are really important, whatever your family unit looks like. And because there's lots of different shapes of what a family can look like. But that just made me think about, it just made me think about the prison system in the United States and how anybody who has seen the documentary 13th, I highly recommend it. It's really incredible. Yeah. (coughs) Sorry. You're fine. The, that documentary talks about the prison system, but specifically I was just thinking about how, how much more hopeless it must feel for people that have their families taken away from them or lots of their connect, there are lots of their connections mm-hmm. severed, not just by death, but yes, by death by a mm-hmm. lot of ways. But just that, I don't know, I, just, I guess I just think that The Giver is a book that is very prescient in that yeah. I think that these things, one of the reasons why it is such a frightening dystopian novel is because it is, there are so many elements that are already in play in, in our life. For instance, in right before the ceremony, they're talking about how Gabriel is going to stay with them for a year and then they all have to sign an agreement not to become attached because Gabriel's going to be reassigned to another family. And I'm like, guess what? That's actually just real. That's not dystopian. That like that happened to my uncle. Hmm. My uncle had a kid and they thought that they were good to keep the kid. And then suddenly after a year and a half of having this child and like loving this kid and it's like a member of their family, like the mother just wanted the kid back. And so just let hmm. the kid back. And guess didn't make him feel very happy it was a very sad occurrence but i don't know i just felt like i kept on running into details throughout the whole book that was just like oh this isn't scary future stuff this is scary now stuff yeah Yeah. and i uh, for the record because this is a book that has been adapted into a film already the movie makes it into like futuristic tech and stuff like that, I think, to appeal to those to the kids these days. <laughs> but but something that I like about it is it doesn't seem to be a book that takes place in the future. Yeah. Um, it's when Jonas is we're already well past spoiler territory uh, listeners. <laughs> When Jonas is running at the end, it's just helicopters that are after him, stuff mm-hmm. like that. And it's there's something about 
how mundane that is that to me makes that scene really scary. That yeah. just, wouldn't it be scary if you were running through the woods with a baby on your back and there was like helicopters after mm-hmm. you? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Going off of that, I feel like there's a, at least from what the media is portraying, <laughs> that there's a lack of empathy in our society today. And I think it is because of lack of knowledge of history. So like very much, oh, this is a now book. And very similar to how the society in The Giver treats its birth mothers. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Nasty. And, like, they call it a job with no honor. And I was thinking of, like, other jobs with with no honor in our society Mm -hmm. today. And I think it has to... Teachers, I think, is our biggest Mm -hmm. jobs with no honor. Yeah. And they're also... Some of the people who know our history and are teaching it to our children. And... Yeah, we're just, like, pummeling teachers left and right. Right. Yeah. And, like, the way we treat them, the way we treat, yeah, mothers in America, and, yeah, everything about that is just, oh, jeez. And it's so interesting because it's so all about efficiency. This is such, like, a capitalist book. Um, Uh Like, it's so, the idea is, like, this society is so efficient. They don't have to deal with this other garbage. And I think, aka, the other garbage of, diversity feelings Mm -hmm. trauma healing talking about building a community and acknowledging history and then having to deal with the trauma that comes with history and the guilt and reparations and all that is extra work and i think like we see that today where people are like we just can't deal with it because they're complicated feelings for our kids and it's yo they're not complicated feelings for your kids they're complicated feelings for you and you need to deal with that also it doesn't have to be a complicated feeling for you it can just be like this was wrong. Let's do something about it. But I think it's I think it's just shows this society has no ability to deal with trauma. <laughs> they have no coping mechanisms to deal with complication. Like it is either black and white, there's no nuance allowed. And I remember even like growing up when like the houses changed. To speak on your point too, Micah and your Zedan, like how we see this in society today. New developments of housing would freak me out because they all looked the same. Mm-hmm. The stucco weird stuff and there's no color in all the houses. Like you could easily get lost in a neighborhood. Oh, so, I have been. <laughs> yeah. And yeah. like if you're not thinking clearly, like you could get lost finding your own house because they all look the exact same. Like they're built quickly. They're built whatever. And they're not built well. But And there's no little yard. It's just like very... But I remember always like describing specifically Draper, Utah as the giver society. And I'm trying not to speak badly about Draper because I think Draper's great. But as a kid growing up, but going to Draper. But they do release people all the time. Yeah. <laughs> it's so messed up. They're always euthanizing. <laughs> but, but like going to Draper as a teen, like as a kid from Colorado was always like such a wake, like such a stressful thing. So I was like, this is the giver. Yeah. And that's mm-hmm. the, that was how I viewed that and how I like internalized like growth and development in neighborhoods and stuff was very from the framework of the giver which is which is bonkers i must have had a really anti-capitalist teacher i don't even think i did i went to a really conservative charter school when we read this yeah but yeah no so like all of the things i don't yeah it felt very now yeah it felt very now like i could easily live in a giver neighborhood yeah (laughs) and it's interesting you bring up yeah just parents talking about how this is hard for their kids yeah and not giving credit to their kids for understanding a lot more. I think Stephanie said this in our last episode. Oh, like you're assuming that your white kids are going to sympathize more with slave owners than with <laughs> abolitionists. <laughs> you're just not giving kids a lot of credit. Right. Yeah. Uh, I have to find the parenting book this came from. Mm-hmm. I remember reading that resilience 
in kids come from hearing about parents' moments of resilience. And so that comes from, again, like the connection of having a deeper connection than Jonas did with his parents of, oh, let's talk about your feelings. That was not the accurate way to describe that feeling. Yeah. (laughs) Or let's talk about your dreams. Oh, a stirring. Here's a pill. Well, here's a pill. And gosh, that is such a, that's so frightening to somebody (laughs) that like, a kid would be like, hey, I had a sexual dream. And you're like, here's one of the things that like makes this feel very current. Is this, He has a sex dream, which is not even a sex dream. It's like, he doesn't know what sex is because, of course, nobody's talked to him about it. But, but like, he has... You don't even know if the parent's ever having sex or anything like that. Oh, it's actually not even a thing I think I think because we know the parents... Everyone is taking the pill. Well, everyone's taking the pill. Parents are not having sex. Mm-hmm. I do want to describe what the dream is specifically because yeah. I think it's going to come up a little bit later because I have a feeling this is why the book was banned. I haven't looked up why the book was banned, but I'm pretty sure it's because of his dream. Very good, Micah. I remembered what podcast I was on. Um, Slam to Stephanie. Uh, but, sorry, did she forget what podcast? Yeah, she did. She looked it up beforehand. No, hers was like she wanted to read it with the context of why it was banned in mind. Oh, yeah. No, I didn't look it up. No, I. but I think it's... No, so the dream that he has is he has a dream that he's at a place that is like the old person treatment center, but there's only one tub and he's standing next to it with his friend Fiona and he's asking Fiona to take her clothes off and get in the bath because he wants to bathe her. Like the way that he has bathed the old people, like giving them like a sponge bath and she's like laughing at him and he describes the feeling as this wanting. So, first off, I just think that's a very evocative description. I think that it's cool that Lois Lowry, professed Christian, is just, yeah, and this is what a sex dream might be like. And it's like, mm-hmm. yeah, true. Um, but how scary would it be if children had sex dreams and then you were just like, by the way, never express yourself sexually ever. That's a really horrible thing. Oh, wait a minute. We all, we do that already? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. like, the the fact that it is, the dystopian angle is that, like, they've already codified it into a pill, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, just take a pill and we won't need to worry about this anymore. Something, too, that was really interesting is it reminds me a lot of A Wrinkle in Time, that sameness culture. And also, there's no agency, there's no choice in the sameness culture because you're just expected to do the same thing that everyone else is doing. And it's interesting because this book ends on a cliffhanger where you get to decide how you think it ends. This is before she wrote the sequel and stuff, which can lead us to assume how it ended. But before then, like, the book ends, we don't know if Jonah escapes this community alive or if he's dead. (laughs) And he's just going into this beautiful space. We have no idea. And that right there is forcing the audience to then make a choice on how they think it ends. Mm -hmm. And which is, like, a crazy move on Lois Lowry's part to be like... Yeah, you're sitting here in this culture where there's no choice. You can't even choose how your body develops or how you want to approach your own body. Like, you have no rights over that. And then at the very end, she's but now you have to choose, does Jonah live or does he die? Was this a happy ending or was this a sad ending? Yeah. And it's like a crazy way that she trusts her reader, who is obviously a young adult, because that's who she's writing to. And it's just another testament of, we'll see. Yeah. We'll see. And and it's interesting because the premise is that if Jonas leaves, all the memories that he's received from the giver now will explode into the community because he's no longer there and they'll have the community will have to deal with those memories. And therefore he just changes the he revolutionizes the community immediately because they have 
memory. memory. Yeah. Right. And that they'll suddenly, which I mean, punk rock ending, actually, if we're being honest. It's very rock and roll. It's very punk rock to be like, you know what this community needs? They need to have this forced on them. They need anarchy. Listen, (laughs) here's some emotions to deal with. So that's how it ends. They need to remember war. What it feels like. (laughs) Seriously, though. Like, even when Jonas learns about war, he goes and he's playing with his friends and they're, like, playing, like, shoot 'em up games. And Jonas isn't into it. And he tells them to stop and he's, no, I'm not into this. Actually, war sucks now. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. Because he has that visceral memory of what it feels like to mm-hmm. be Which is like, scared for your life and all those things. I feel like we're bringing... I feel, this is a big this is a big serious episode, so I'll try and keep my tone light as I say something really book. scary. <laughs> but, like, living in the United States with public shootings and stuff like that, every time I see, like, kids playing with, like, guns or playing, like, shoot em games, I'm just like... Maybe we don't need to do that. Which I is so hippo- incredibly hypocritical because I definitely played primarily like shooting my friends' games when I was a little <laughs> kid. So I don't know. It, but it is, I don't know. There's lots of little nuggets like that in this book. Yeah. And it's actually interesting because he doesn't know that, he only knows that baby was euthanized because he, the baby looked and acted like a body he saw in a memory of war. Yeah. Yeah, I don't... The dad doesn't know what he's doing. Yeah, does really. the dad understand I don't like think the dad understands humans. Yeah. Because no one knows what death, death is. is. Yeah. Yeah. They just know that old people are released, and it's peaceful, and it's nice. And, yeah, but for Jonas, like, to have that totally, like, frames his father in a different light. Yeah. Just, oh, he's a baby murderer. He's a baby yeah. murderer. And- That's so true. I want to, before, I don't, I have no idea where we're at in time, but I have, before we, Good, before we get into like ending territory, I do want to talk about what I think the best section of the book is. Please, which Michael. Is, which is the thing you already started talking about, which is on chapter 15 and 16 is 15 and that starts on page 118. Everyone who's following along on the podcast. <laughs> And 15 is when he goes in. He's already been shown colors, so he, like, knows what color is. And he goes in, and the giver is, like, in pain. He's, like, crying, and he's doing really poorly, and he croaks for him to give him water. And then... No, sorry, I just read that wrong. He that he comes in and he says, The giver looked up at him, his face contorted with suffering. Please, he gasped, take some of the pain. And so then he like comes in and he doesn't understand what he's about to do. I feel like this is a, such a really... I feel like this is an elegant way to talk about how... This is, maybe, this is a messed up thing for me to say. I don't know. Like, how passing on trauma is something that naturally occurs. Because then the giver gives him this memory of war. And based on what is described, it sounds like World War One. Mm-hmm. It sounds like mustard gas type stuff in, like, trench warfare. Yeah. And so it sucks. Is it? And it's, and it's really awful for Jonas specifically. And then when Jonas gets out... Finally, when he knew that he could bear it no longer and would welcome death himself, he opened his eyes and was once again on the bed. The giver looked away as if he could not bear to see what he had done to Jonas. Forgive Mm. me, he said. Mm. And so then in the next chapter, it's like Jonas did not want to go back. And I feel like the reason why I wanted to bring this up actually is because I feel like it directly connects to your point, Eden, about 
about grandparents and about familial relationships. Um, and I feel like this is... So we've already had the one plot twist so far about mm-hmm. like color, where it's, oh, this is a society that literally sees things in black and white and they cannot see colors. And they were able to conceal that because it's a book and they just have managed to not describe anything with color. Mm-hmm. But then this is where I think the bigger thematic plot twist comes in, which is... Jonas says, he comes in and, what is your favorite? Jonas asks the giver. You don't have to give it away yet. He had to quickly just tell me about it so I can look forward to it because I'll have to receive it when your job is done. The giver smiled. Lie down. I'm happy to give it to you. I'm going to read some of this. Is that okay? Uh. Okay. Jonas felt the joy of it as soon as the memory began. Sometimes it took a while for him to get his bearings to find his place, but this time he fit right in and felt the happiness that pervaded the memory. He was in a room filled with people, and it was warm, with firelight glowing on a hearth. He could see through a window that outside it was night and snowing. There were colored lights, red and green and yellow, twinkling from a tree which was oddly inside the room. On a table, lighted candles stood in a polished golden holder and cast a soft flickering glow. He could smell things cooking, and he heard soft laughter. A golden-haired dog lay sleeping on the floor. On the floor, there were packages wrapped in brightly colored paper and tied with gleaming ribbons. As Jonas watched, a small child began to pick up the packages and pass them around the room. To other children, to adults who were obviously parents, and to an older, quiet couple, man and woman, who sat smiling together on a couch. While Jonas watched... The people began one by one to untie the ribbons on the packages, to unwrap the bright papers, open the boxes, and reveal toys and clothing and books. There were cries of delight. They hugged one another. Mm. The small child went and sat on the lap of the old woman, and she rocked him and rubbed her cheek against his. Jonas opened his eyes and lay contentedly on the bed, still luxuriating in the warm and comforting memory. It had all been there, all the things he had learned to treasure. What did you perceive? The giver asked. Warmth, Jonas replied, and happiness. And let me think, the family, that it was a celebration of some sort, a holiday, and something else. I can't quite get the word for it. It will come to you. Who were the old people? Why were they there? It had puzzled Jonas seeing them in the room. The old of the community did not ever leave their special place the house of the old, where they were so well cared for and respected. They were called grandparents. Grandparents? Grandparents. It meant parents of the parents long ago. Back and back? Jonas began to laugh. So actually, there could be parents of the parents of the parents of the parents? The giver laughed too. That's right. It's a little like looking at yourself looking in a mirror, looking at yourself looking in a mirror. And I'm going to skip a little bit. As long as he's describing, he's talking about the what will happen to old people and what will happen to parents. As long as they're still working and contributing to the community, they'll go and live with the other childless adults, and they won't be part of my life anymore. And after that, when the time comes, they'll go to the house of the old, Jonas went on. He was thinking aloud. And they'll be well cared for and respected, and when they're released, there'll be a celebration, which you won't attend, the giver pointed out. No, of course not, because I won't even know about it. By then I'll be so busy with my own life. And Lily will too. So our children, if we have them, won't know who their parents or parents are either. It seems to work pretty well that way, doesn't it? The way we do it in our community, Jonas asked. 
I just didn't realize there was any other way until I received that memory. It works, the giver agreed. Jonas hesitated. I certainly liked the memory, though. I can see why it's your favorite. I couldn't quite get the word for the whole feeling of it, the feeling that was so strong in the room. Love, the giver told him. Jonas repeated it. Love. It was a word in concept new to him. Anyways, and so he keeps on going on, but it's cool to be reading the book and realize that you're like, oh my gosh, no one loves here. This is a community devoid of love. And you take it for granted because they're so peaceful, I guess, that you're like, probably love exists. I don't know. Just take it for granted. And that's the point of The Giver is that maybe we take this for granted, but maybe this is one of the reasons why but maybe this is one of the reasons why we shouldn't enforce this kind of society is because it will strangle out the thing that is worth living for, essentially. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I don't know. It's And it's such a... I remember reading it and realizing that, like, that's such a cool plot to us to be able to hide that, oh, this is... There's no love in the community. Because the color thing serves as a nice thematic mm -hmm. thrust. Once you realize there's no love in the community, you're like, oh, then it's worthless. Like, this community, yeah. this community is bad, then. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. That's a beautiful passage. And while you're reading it, it, it made me think of the bed that Jonas has to lie down on in order to receive memories. So Lois Lowry doesn't go into how this happens. It's just like a thing that happens that the giver puts his hand on Jonas's back and he receives memory that way. But hearing you read that out loud, it would it like remind me of bedtime stories. I was just, oh, like this is where memories are received. It's just when a child is in bed and a parent or a grandparent tells a story. And I think that's such a beautiful, yeah, such a beautiful thing. My daughter is old enough that she know, like she's starting to recognize like what Christmas is. And like just reading, like hearing you read that, it's like, like this is, this will be her first memory of Christmas because last mm -hmm. year she was too young to, to have that memory. But yeah, how beautiful to have memories and love. Yeah. yeah. And I think something I've been thinking about a lot of what Micah has been saying with the trauma dumping kind of thing and also then the love thing is there's it's messy all of these things are really messy but that's also what happens when you have authentic relationships. I kept thinking about my grandmother who was like my my hero slash one of the most important women in my life if not the most important woman in my life she's so amazing and she passed away in 2019 but she i remember i like spent a lot of time interviewing her because i wanted to know about my family and in those interviews i learned a lot of really ugly stuff about what happened and how she was conceived was not like it was not out of a consensual relationship she still does not isn't totally sure who her real dad is if it was her like she was born in between dads and there's just a lot of like complicated things and i remember that was really hard to hear and really hard to know that i still don't quite know those parts but i felt so much more of an understanding of who i was in hearing this and an understanding of who she is and like that bond, there's just something really authentic in knowing that. And I feel like when we're able to share abuse, share the acknowledgement that things have happened, when we're able to share those parts of our lives with people that we love and trust, it's just, it adds a lot of color. And that's like the point is to use the Christian or even Buddhist or Hindu belief systems. There's so much about community and about mourning with those who mourn or being able to get into a space 
which is what yoga is about, getting to a space spiritually and physically and emotionally to be able to hold those spaces for other people and carry that for other people. And without, you have to have that as part of the big tapestry in order to truly understand love. Also, love can't just be black and white. It has to be very colorful with all of it. And I like, there's parts in the book where we find out that the giver deeply loves Jonas. Right. He deeply loved the first Gosh, receiver. Make me cry, talk about it. It's and it's the first time that Jonas finds out what it is to be loved by someone. And oh, that's that, thank you for bringing that because yeah. that was another thing I want to say is this is maybe my other prediction of why the book might have been banned. Jonas, I think it says this explicitly in the text. He realizes at one point that his parents don't love him. Yeah. Yeah. And that's a pretty punk rock thing to put in life. <laughs> that is a punk rock thing yeah. to be like, yeah, actually, they've never loved you. But like, Bush but, Seniors America. Yeah. <laughs> but, but I think it's just, I like think that's a really crazy plot reveal as well to make that connection that like, yeah. oh, actually, it's me on my own. And while I don't think that's true of all, I don't think most families are like that. Right, right, right. Uh, I believe that most parents yeah. love their kids. At least, f- fingers crossed. No, yeah. actually, no. But <laughs> We didn't do the but, poll um, that we were supposed to do. Yeah, I didn't do Do you poll. love your children? <laughs> but I do think that can, that has probably applied to people before where it's, oh, like maybe this is, I don't know, like I just think that's, I think that's a really interesting detail. I wonder, I would be interested to hear from anybody who has read this book before and been like, oh, that was an important moment in my life to realize that I was like, oh, I have this separation between me and my parents. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting to put. I think when we think about the boomer generation who were raised by World War II parents, yeah, there wasn't a lot of authentic sharing. And they're like... You, when you, I think about my dad and his relationship with his parents, I think they've developed a lot of stuff, but like that era was just such a different way of encompassing love and being able to give love. And I think about different dating relationships I've had where I didn't know how to receive love. I was not in like a healthy place to do that, sure. nor was I in a healthy place to give love. And I think that this is like an interesting conversation about that because the giver clearly loves in such a pure way mm-hmm. and i'm sure it's because he's held the once again the tapestry of emotion right. inside of himself and he's done it as a sacrifice to the community at large too uh, so there's like there's a yeah there's once like the hero's journey kind of vibe where there's like a savior sure. thing going on there too and then jonas is willing is taking that upon himself even though he doesn't want to do it but that's the job that he's been given and we'll see and then he makes choices with mm-hmm. the giver's help. But yeah, it's just really interesting because once again, love is not black and white. It can't be. You have to carry all of that stuff. Right. Mm-hmm. And like I don't, something that I think is so interesting, and I didn't, I did not think about this until we were recording. But Ooh. I, but just that, I think Jonas's relationship with the giver is imp- the he wouldn't have felt the same connection to the giver if he hadn't had experienced the war memory taken that from the giver at that moment like he needed to feel that person's pain and that can be like really uncomfortable i don't know if an early time in my life when i realized that my parents were mom and dad i hope you're listening to the (laughs) book No, but, like, realizing that, like, my parents didn't have, like, perfect relationship with their parents. It just never crossed my mind that, like, maybe my mom doesn't always talking to her mom. Yeah. (laughs) And that was, like, a strange 
thing I'm like, wait, you mean you guys aren't chill? Yeah. <laughs> and, and like realizing that like my grandfather who's now deceased, like he interrupted my mom all the time and would never let my mom finish her sentences. And my mom hated that. And so she like didn't like talking to mm-hmm. him. Even as an adult, like that kind of continued in like, he would start conversations in order to get like a rise out of her. And I'm like, that's an insane thing because um, that's mean. That's not a nice thing to do. By the way, I'm using so much restraint. I'm like, (laughs) this is a family podcast, right? Family, family podcast. Anyways, but yeah. But like, and then recently, and what like you were talking about discovering trauma from your grandmother which by the way that's awesome that you interviewed your grandmother so much and i really truly wish everybody would do that i interviewed my grandmother recently and found out she like said some like feminist stuff that i never thought was gonna come out of her mouth in my entire life Um, so i was like dang that was cool and just because she just didn't come off that way to me but but my other grandmother i like discovered some really traumatic events about her recently that i can't share on the air because it's still yeah a secret to a lot of people um but it's like i discovered things about her and it was interesting how it changed my perspective but not in a way it didn't make me hate her and i think that's something that reflects the fear of the society and the giver is just if people knew everything wouldn't we hate each other and to me my answer is no it was like if we can just learn to accept those things it's you know what Life's hard all around and people do really screwed up stuff. But but I think, I don't know, knowing is better than not knowing to me. Yeah. yeah. So. Yeah. That's really interesting. And actually, this is bringing to mind therapy for me because I'm doing EMDR mm-hmm. and that is all about reprocessing memories and sitting there with memories and letting your brain take you wherever has brought me a lot of empathy for the people in my life, my past, of just like sitting there and sitting in a memory and then reframing what that memory is in my mind. And yeah, I've, I think everyone thinks this, but I think I'm my therapist's favorite patient. (laughs) (laughs) Heck yeah. But yeah, we had a lot of emotional moments where both of us are crying because of this memory that I'm reprocessing and because of the angle that my brain, oh wait, think about it this way. Mm. And like, I feel a lot of healing and a lot of, still a lot of mixed emotions because multiple things can be true at once. Right, yeah. but yeah, it's like, it's really beautiful. Yeah. And like the value mm-hmm. of reprocessing memory too, instead of suppressing it as well, to be able to bring it up in a safe place and mm-hmm. uh, yeah, make it so it's not so painful anymore. And yeah. build um. that resilience and all of that. <clears throat> but you can't do that if you're ignoring the past. Yeah. And that's something that like we're seeing today. There's so much fear about the past. There's so much fear about being held accountable for things and there's so much defensiveness and it's really interesting because it's I just want to shake everyone and be like do you just want to heal can we just heal or you just not want to you just want to keep leaving that wound wide open and ignoring it until you have to chop that leg off come on I think like I do think that currently people don't want to heal (laughs) I feel like dang it Micah (laughs) I feel like popularly I've just been thinking about this because about how vicious the internet is and I'm not getting mad at cancel culture that's not what I'm doing but I do think that generally people are 
really vicious towards one another whenever somebody finds any fault in mm-hmm. another person just being like, this person sucks in every way. Get rid of them. <laughs> and to me, what it feels like, it's it's it feels like vengeance culture, and it feels like it feels yeah. like it comes from a place of self loathing to me. It feels like a place. It comes from a place of I like every like if I did these things and suffered for them, then everybody has to suffer for them the exact same way. But I'm, I I don't think that it's always going to be that way. But I do think that like I, f- I see a lot of that reflected today. Something that Lois Lowry couldn't have known because this was written in 1993. But but release I do- culture. Yeah yeah <laughs> release culture. Get him out of here. Um, get that pilot out of here. Um, get that old person out of here. Get that old person out of here. Unfortunately, that is it. Actually, because I would feel remiss if I didn't bring this up. We're recording this in the year of our Lord 2022. <laughs> and we are, the pandemic's all over. Just kidding. But we just had this big pandemic thing, and the people who suffered were the older people, mostly. And the people that didn't have, that seemingly weren't going to contribute to society in the way that right. people wanted them to, even though they were the essential workers and also right. anyone with a long term illness or. Yeah, and I know that it wasn't all just old people, right. but like those were the most people but that, that were at risk such to die. Vulnerable, yeah. And it did to me feel a lot like people generally did a giant shrug that was just like they're old, right? Their time was coming. Yeah. And it's just like, guys, <laughs> that is a really dark thing to do. And anyway, we sorry. Yeah, even with like, my sister's a kidney transplant recipient. Cool. So we're pretty involved in the organ donation community. Nice. But we see that a lot with organ donations too. If you reach a certain age, you're you like aren't as much of a priority. Yeah. To receive, which is crazy because you're still pa- feeling pain at a hundred percent. Your pain, your ability to feel pain, and your desire to live a full life doesn't go away just because you're old. Right. It's weird how we value people on that based on their output. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's scary. Yeah. And I don't like it. And I think, <laughs> hot take, it's wrong to do that. Yes. <laughs> Very good. Um, Same here, Micah. Yeah. <laughs> Very good, guys. Very good. I have a question for you before we get into the banning. So do you feel like this does answer, this book does answer the questions that Lois Lowry was asking, That specifically that why do people do such terrible things to each other? Do you feel like she got to some, even just like around the answer or? I think... It's, I mean, it's interesting because I wonder if she was asking it because specifically based on it was a Middle Eastern community that her son was in because she was in Iraq or whatever. Mm. So like wondering, maybe she was like, why do, like, why are there like really scary religious cultish like thing going on? Which by the way, I'm not calling Islam a religious cult. I'm calling like organizations like the Taliban. Um, And there's equal ones like in Christianity as well that are really scary. Actually, I have to tell you guys about one off mic. It's so nuts. Okay, okay, I just, anyway. Uh, The, um, but yeah, do I think that she got to the answer? I think she got to some interesting, like how people could perpetuate, like like, why evil societies are perpetuated because even though the giver, the society of the giver feels like it mm-hmm. is so controlled, it is a society that is based off of fear. Yeah. Which, so I think she did get to that. I think that is cool. That's really true. I think that was my answer to fear and wanting to control it. Yeah. Fear and control. Yeah. Which is what we see in extreme governments. <laughs> yeah. That makes sense. 
Okay, banning. Banning. All right. Mm-hmm. Shh. Guesses to why this was ba- banned or challenged. My guess of why is because babies are being killed. Oh, dang. I didn't even... Yeah, okay. Yep. That was my guess, too. Baby murder. Baby. Jonas's bath dream, and then bath time at the old home, too. I didn't think of any of the bad stuff. I'm kind of, I just, the reason why I'm thinking it's Jonas's dream is that Mm -hmm. I think that parents are scared of sex more than they're scared of murder. I honestly think you're right. And that's been shown. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing is I'm like, yeah, that's nuts. What? I'm going to just grab a little marshmallow. You're going to do it? Do you want a little marshmallow? No, I'm good. While we get the answer? It's minty inside. Oh yeah. Okay. I'll have a marshmallow while we're getting the answer. Thank you so much. You're so welcome. Oh geez. Okay. What? Is it worse than All right. you thought? Oh, no. It's, it's exactly what we thought, but it's just the quotes that came from it. Oh, it's just, uh Has been banned or challenged in various schools at times due to the potentially difficult topics it brings up, including infanticide, suicide, and euthanasia. Some groups have wanted to ban the giver because they feel the story depicts sexual awakening and violence. Some parents in, pa- parents in Blue Springs, Montana called the book lewd and twisted mm. and pled, pled, pleaded 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 for it to be tossed toss it toss it Get please it toss it it's interesting they say it's violent because the violence is war that's the only awkward. violence it feels it. like they didn't read it yeah it feels like they did not read it yeah i'm trying to think and lewd also the violence the war violence in it it doesn't even it's after battle, right? Which doesn't make it less traumatizing, but it, like, removes any, like, of the children playing fun parts of it, where it's, like, I don't have a whole lot of, like, games where I'm playing where I'm like, and here's where we're going to walk across a battlefield. <laughs> yeah, that's, yeah, it feels like they didn't read it, because it just said that war is bad, basically. Yeah. Wow. Okay. The book, Lois Lowry's book, not the banners. The banners. Yeah. Yeah. What a graph here. Ooh, love it. So there's a graph and it says unsuited to age group. That's 37%. Oh, top five reasons the giver has been challenged. Unsuited to age group, which I think is like perfect for the age group. I think it's I think I read it at that age group. I did read it in school at that age group. Yeah. At that age group. At that age group. (laughs) As a member of said group. Yeah, I'm trying to remember the violence besides. Yeah, that's interesting. Oh, I guess smacking Asher is a big one. Yeah, but I don't know. Yeah, I mean, like, that part, that was a subtle enough section that I remember, like, I didn't even remember it until I didn't think about it until you read it. (laughs) Yeah. But, like, but yeah, I think there's a lot, and actually, just one thing I want to say before we finish is that, okay, when, this is something that I think is typical of lots of college bro, college film bros, is that... I think a lot of college film bros tend to like movies, and I'm going to relate this to books in a second, but I think college film bros tend to like movies where the director is flexing their muscles a lot, where they're like, check out this crazy thing I can do with editing in camera, which is the reason why like you find Fight Club posters on a lot of like freshman men's dorms or whatever, <laughs> because Fight Club has a lot of, did you see? It's a movie. I'm controlling the medium. But something that, like, I've grown to a lot more is the idea of directors being willing to stand back and let the illusion of the film take over. Mm -hmm. And that's something that the director will get a lot less credit for because it will seem like they're doing less. Because they are 
making themselves not they're like they're not imposing can you tell it's a movie at yeah. all like they're they're like seemingly removing themselves in reality they're doing lots of things in order yeah. to maintain this illusion and I was thinking about that in relation to Lois Lowry with The Giver. This book is not written in a way that it does not seem like Lois Lowry is flexing yeah. the whole time that she's writing. But she's actually pulling off really complex tricks as yeah. opposed to this novel. And it's so short. She does it with such few words. Right. I think it's really difficult to do what she's doing. And I think she's really good at world building really quickly. Just like a, a fast yeah. thing, I want to say. Like, we find out quickly that there's something wrong with their world because they have stuffed animals that are fictional animals that are elephants and like tigers yeah and they just don't believe those exist yeah and it's oh so there's something weird about this world and we don't know what's going on and Mm -hmm. like that we never figure out exactly what's up with that but that's interesting yeah, I don't know. I just think that what she's doing, like this is a really complex work of fiction. When I tell people that The Giver is my favorite book, which it has been for a long time, and I guess I have like multiple favorite books, but like, sure. but when I say that like The Giver is my favorite book, people are like, oh, okay, that's cute. And I'm like, no, it's not cute. It's <laughs> ass. Um, and so I want, that's like what I want people to know is that it's actually, it's really good. And you have to look into it, but she's, she's pulling something off here. It's really cool. Yeah. It's pretty incredible. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's so good. I loved you being here, Michael. Yeah, I, thank you so much. I loved, I loved being here. I had some other deep questions I was going to ask, but it's probably late. I was going to ask what memories would you give if you were a giver or whatever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think a big one for me is pain because I have chronic pain. I have rheumatoid arthritis. And so and I really do feel like I don't feel like I feel like I would still probably be very much the same person I am today. But I feel like knowing what pain feels like on that level changes a person has really yeah especially as a young person when i was like 14 was when i was diagnosed i think knowing that has given me really i really love my perspective on relationships and on people and i really love the fact that i just i think that i skipped some levels and i'm really grateful for that in terms of compassion that's awesome. <laughs> and having patience for other people needing to like bail or rearrange or if they're not in a place. And so I think that would be a good memory to give someone. I think pain is just an important part of life. I think to go without it, you really lose a lot of development. But I think I could have had other pains. I don't think it needed to be physical pain. Yeah. No, <laughs> like, but like, I'm not saying I need rheumatoid arthritis. It's not my identity. But mm-hmm. I love that yeah. answer because there's some people. Okay. So I once knew a person. I, I once served a mission for the LDS church. There was a, a companion, and you're, like, with a companion 24-7. Like, I started realizing that this person had never been through any suffering before. But yeah. he was just like, oh, he's never had something really bad happen to him. Yeah. Or, like, experienced, like, a major, I don't know. It, like, he had, like, yeah, yeah, he just, like, so... It was a really crazy thing to be like around him, and be like, "Whoa, yeah, this is gonna hit you hard when it hits you. You're already 19. Yeah, you don't know that you can survive stuff. Yeah, and that's well, a scary thing not to know. You don't know that you can survive stuff, and also you see other people who are suffering, and you're like, why can't they tough it out? Uh, like you don't get that. Oh, what would it feel like to be leveled, a mm. person? Yeah, yeah. That's not the memory I would share, but I just wanted to share. That's the memory I just shared with you guys, but yeah. (laughs) But Eden, go for it. I think the first memory that came to mind was the memory of my daughter's birth. Because I think 
I had... And you wrote about that. I did write about it. beautiful. It was like a very beautiful spiritual experience for me. And I wish everyone could have that. Including... (laughs) Including Micah right here. Including Micah. Yes! I think it's because there's a lot of anxiety that goes into birthing. And sure, there are a lot of... We're still dealing with maternal deaths and everything. But I think like showing that it could be beautiful and it wasn't anything I necessarily did. It was just like the the circumstances and the, I don't know. It was just like everything was the right condition for this to be a beautiful moment. Awesome. Sharing memories really does allow for possibility. Mm -hmm. It allows people to see, yeah, like having real relationships with people, knowing about their past and things allows people to have a larger future. Mm -hmm. It really does. That's so beautiful. And I think, like, showing that, like, women are very capable to push a baby out. Because I did it unmedicated. Whoa. And I actually did not feel a thing. I think because I was, like, really high off of this spiritual experience. That I was just like, yeah. (laughs) Also, it's just the pooping muscles. Oh. And I'm like. No one tells you that. No one tells you that. There's Oh, you just have to push. It's like, what do you mean by push? Like, I've never pushed out of there before. But it's, it's the same muscle. And, oh, I've done this a million times. Yeah. <laughs> it's true. And Mabel seemed to be ready to come out. Yeah, yeah. she was ready. Yeah. Yeah. It's so cute. Mabel rules straight up. Yeah. Like Mabel's the bomb. Uh, yeah. The memory that I think I would share, I think those are both incredible. I'm going to do a more annoying one. But, but one of them I think I would share is... I played, uh, I have a band, and that's actually how I met Nicole yeah. and Eden. Yeah, yeah. that's yeah. true. Was that I was Because I was a performer, and if I had to pick a memory, I think I would pick performing at the Urban Lounge in mm. Salt Lake City a few months ago, because I feel like I know people, I can think of one person in particular right now, who I feel like is trapped in... A routine of life where they don't have any creative output mm. and they have control but they don't realize that they do and I like want them to know this is something that you could do like you can do something and have so feel so much reward from something that you've created yeah. with other people and have lots of fun and feel like a lot of the times there's like people are being like is it worth it to be alive and it's like, yeah it is and this is one of the things that makes it worth it is like just like sharing yourself with other people yeah. in like a major way. Yeah. I love it. Micah's band is Prince Duck. You should look them up. Prince and Duck. We'll put them in the liner. That's true. That was so great, Micah. I loved all of this. I love this book. I, I didn't realize how much I loved it until this most recent read. I was like, yeah, it's a good book. But it is like a really powerful, like you said, it's a brilliant. I don't get how Lois is so understated in how she approaches like the world and she does it in such a way that's. You just did this in 200 pages, and I don't mm-hmm. know. Like, you changed my life a little bit in 200 pages. And yeah. That is crazy. I'm thinking this should probably be our big Christmas. I feel it's episode. like it too. Because, well, yeah, when he was reading that, when you were reading that passage, it's like, Christmas is around yeah. the corner. Christmas. So we're just going to say Merry Christmas. Merry, Merry Christmas. Happy Christmas. holidays. Happy Hanukkah. Kwanzaa. Whatever anyone is celebrating these mm-hmm. days and whatever anyone's not celebrating, I just hope you have a really nice, cozy time yeah. with, this season. with family, whatever that family yeah. looks like. Yeah. If you're, and if you're feeling very alone on Christmas, send me an email and I'll send you an email back. 
You should do that. Micah probably fun. would honor that. Yeah, so, that'd be fun. Yeah. My email is duck.pirate.ahoy at gmail.com. You can send me an email if you're really lonely this Christmas season. And I'll be like, man, that sucks. But I'll probably send you a video of Anna music, which is this. Have you guys ever seen those videos of like digital instruments playing themselves? <laughs> We're going to watch it as soon as this is done recording. It's really <laughs> Makes me feel better. Gosh, mm-hmm. I cannot wait. Yeah. Okay, so thank you so much, Micah. <laughs> Anyways. Really sorry. Sorry for everything. Yeah, <laughs> just um, All right. Anything else to say? No, that's it. Okay. Love you all. Bye. 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 Burn This Book is produced by us, Nicola Corin and Eden Wen. Music written by me, Nicola Corin, and produced and performed by my dad, Frank.